0: let <laughs> Welcome to Lamb Parties, episode 70 from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I am your host, Brian Smith, and with me as always, my co-host, Lucas Egan. Lucas, how are you, my friend? I, I I feel like I already know what you were doing this
1: weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, let me start by saying I got my second vaccine dose on Monday. We're recorded on a Tuesday. So I'm here, I'm up and running. Just another sign of my dedication to the show. <laughs> but no, my weekend was good, it was filled with massive. Mass Effect, of course, and Pokemon Snap. I Look, Mass Effect is such an epic series. Like, I love that series. It's so cool that so many other gamers are going to get to experience this for the first time. My girlfriend is in that boat. So just just the fact that like this game is so dense that we're ready for it to consume our lives for a while. I do want to give a shout-out to a mobile game I've been playing called Summoner's War that's terribly addicting. So my weekend was just... All gaming and like no productivity, but I'm okay with that. How was yours, Ryan?
0: It was good. Again, I just moved my studio over into the smaller room. So I actually have more space as a whole, which is nice. And then I I can't put like every free moment that I have, I'm picking up Mass Effect. This is my first playthrough of the series. I'm, you know, obviously I had to go with FemShep and uh, uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So you know, I could see why so many people have talked about the game and have said all the praises that they have. Because, I mean, just the little bit that I have played has been, it's been amazing. It's such an adventure. I'm just like, I can't believe I have waited this long to play this series. But I'm so happy that I'm having the chance and the opportunity to play it on some upgraded graphics and stuff like that. So, no complaints on my end. Enough about us, though. please. Our guests, thank you so much for being here. You guys know Emmy Award winning, multiple nominations, uh, so many video games from Dragon Age Origins to Outriders, uh, Fallout 3, Fallout Four. Enon Zur is joining us here on Land Parties today. Enon, thank you so much for being here. How are you, my friend?
2: Hey guys, so great to be with you, Ryan and Lucas. It's um You know, I'm very busy at work (laughs) and uh, you Mm -hmm. can see in the background, like my computers are like (laughs) (laughs) doing that. And um, yeah, it's a very busy, but great and interesting time. Uh, And thank you so much for having me.
1: We are excited. I don't know why I say this stuff before we record because I usually just say it again after. So I'm just going to throw it out there that the Fallout soundtracks are so gosh darn epic that like I listen to them in the background sometimes while I work. So it's just it's truly an honor and we're excited to kind of get into that. Thank you so much. It means so much because as you could see, you know, this is where I am
2: and I am most of the time alone. So just spending some time <laughs> with people, spend, spending some time with <laughs> fans, and actually really getting um, the feedback for what we're working so hard to achieve—it's—it's it's always such a rejuvenating experience.
1: Good, good, getter. We're excited to take a deep dive, but first we wanted to touch on a couple of topics, and the first has to do with a uh, recent guest, Brandon Cole, who was an accessibility uh, advisor on The Last of Us Part Two. And this is pretty cool. On Thursday, May 20th, he is taking part in Global Accessibility Awareness Day by streaming from noon to 1 Pacific time. And he's actually going to be on the front page of Twitch. And he's going to be streaming The Last of Us Part 2 on its highest difficulty to show people what blind gamers can truly accomplish. And my goodness, I don't even think I could... like. If I try The Last of Us on the hardest difficulty, I'm just dying. And I'm just, like, never going to get to finish the game. So, like, this is just so awesome. And, I mean, he's a great guy. Seriously, if you have the time, please support him. Much respect. Much respect.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, I, and I love the fact, too, that Twitch uh has these uh, these events and things like that that go and celebrate uh you know different people of of different abilities or or different things and to put it on the front page uh you know with it being um a, you know a national day and everything like that. I just love the fact that they're able to do this because there are so many people out there that have you know, different, different uh, uh, things that limit them. So it's an important need because they're gamers too, uh, like everybody else. So to really see this push for more accessibility and to get even, you know, deeper into it. The fact that, like you're saying, I mean, the fact that he's going to be playing it on the hardest difficulty, I couldn't do that, you know, right now let alone (laughs) you know not being able to see so you know it's absolutely astonishing what they're doing and that kind of work that they're doing because it really is touching um this group and this base of people that before you know they they didn't have as many options to be able to play these games and you have things now that you know physical peripherals for for you know maybe somebody doesn't have access or can't use their limbs or you know so many different things i love the fact that they're celebrating this i love the fact that they're going to be on the front page i don't know if you guys have had a chance to go over to brandon's twitch streams they are absolutely fantastic he's such a good dude i'm excited to check it out and go support him for sure it's amazing. And, and
2: just to, you know, a shout out for, for Twitch, just in general, it's an amazing stage for all of us gamers, but also the gaming industry to uh, connect with our fans, um, to show what we're doing, show what we're working on, uh, because it's such a dedicated um, stage. You know, it's not a general, it's something that we really could count that it will support gaming industry, gamers and the gaming world. So. Thank
1: you. Yeah, you know, kind of piggybacking off that, the gaming industry I think is unique because of that interaction you get between fans and the creators on every level, from the developers to the composers to the actors. What is that like for you to to have a, a fan base for some of these games that you worked on that that get so attached and, and want to meet you and, and show their appreciation?
2: Well, I came from the other world and i used to be uh for a very long time not very long time but few years um most what w- most of what i did was tv and composing for tv um shows that were very popular at the time for kids i mm-hmm. did like hundreds of tv tv shows for power rangers beetleborgs mystic knights of tirnanog digimon mm-hmm. you name it um and i must say yes these times it was like the late '90s. Um, internet was not, and and social media, <laughs> you know, was not really existing. So it's a little hard to compare. But these shows are still running today, and I could tell you that the involvement of fans when it comes to music, uh, when it comes to games, this is just amazing. How gamers are so much more connected, and so much more appreciative for the work that we're doing, um, and the way they are commenting, the way they're supporting, the way they actually will take the music out of the platform of the game, and play it, you know, and just enjoy it. And this support, um, I think TV composers and even movie composers are not really so lucky to have this kind of fan base.
0: Yeah, you're right. You know, and I think you touch on some good points there as well. And just how much it it, the music transcends almost the game, because now, you know, and especially, you know, the the video game community is a very passionate community, whether you're in the RPGs or strat games or whatever, you know, you become immersed within that world and the characters and the story and the music. Plays a huge part into those feelings and and into uh, that. So it, it's just, I, I, I love it. I mean, I, I'm I'm watching. Uh, I don't know if you saw that docu series uh, High Scores. Oh um, no. Oh my goodness. It's on Netflix. It's, 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 I'm, I'm about, we're about three or four episodes in and I, I kid you not. And, and I'm gonna go ahead and put myself out there. Like after every episode, like I'm kind of crying a little <laughs> bit off to the side. Cause like, it's just bringing back all the feels for me. I'm just, ow, oh, I remember that. <laughs> if you haven't seen it i highly recommend checking out high score sadaki series but yeah, yeah it, it, it. it's just it's it's crazy because there there are i mean there's so many emotional connections and and you know, not just to the games, but the parts of the game, the music that that drives it and, and gives you those feelings and and things like that. So for you know, I, I'm I'm so happy that not only are they highlighting um, you know, National Accessibility Day, but, you know, to to put it out there and and to really show, hey, you know, here's how far games have come to the point that, you know, we've got Brandon playing the last of us two on the highest difficulty. <laughs> I but, love it. You know, it's it's I absolutely think amazing. Since
2: I'm, I'm composing music for games since 1996. So, mm-hmm. a bit of, you know, it's a, it's a little stretch and <laughs> I could tell you that one of the biggest, I mean, there are numerous, um, developments and changes, uh, between these times and today. But I think overall, the biggest one is that games became mainstream and mainstream, not only for gamers, but only, you know, for, you know, the mass population Mm -hmm. games are right now, like an accessible known and supported media, which, you know, 20, 25 years ago, it was not the case. So, the recognition that we, as part of the gaming community and the gaming industry, um, are getting is much more robust than what we used to get, you know, on the old days. So, we feel that we definitely helped uh, pave the way uh, for the accessibility and the acceptance um, and recognition that the gaming world's. Um, you know right now is
0: absolutely yeah I I agree um again guys check out that this is uh Thursday that this happens correct Lucas correct Thursday at noon Pacific time 3 p.m Eastern 3 p.m Eastern check out brandon uh twitch.tv super blind man I can't wait to see that run because that is just crazy to even think about um but that is best of luck to Brandon and and everybody else I'm, I'm glad we're we're celebrating that Big ups to Twitch as well. Um, switching gears here a little bit. I, I I definitely wanted to bring this up. I think it's super important. Um, we had talked about you know when when there was this the Microsoft and Bethesda um, acquisition that that went down and what it could possibly mean. We know that Microsoft a challenge for them has been games and 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 you know I mean obviously being a gamer you know. You gotta have the best games. And their library, I felt for for years have been really lacking. But they've been making some power moves here in 2021. It started in 2020, I feel, one of them being that Bethesda. We knew that Starfield was gonna be coming. Uh they've been working on this game since about uh twenty thirteen. And the thing about it is that it is going to be a new IP from Bethesda. And I believe it's official. I don't know if it's official official, but it might as well be. Uh, it's going to be exclusive to Xbox and PC. And, uh, uh, you know, I, we knew this was coming, and I think this is a great way. This is what they need to start doing, and I believe, I feel that this is going to be kind of the the first initial steps to where we start seeing more exclusives that are just going to be on PC or Xbox. Uh, and also, too, I, I feel like Bethesda, you know, Bethesda's had, they've had a, a bumpy, last few years so they really i feel as a studio need a win with their fan base uh with their community and i think that starfield could possibly be you know a way for them to rein people back in because i said this you know maybe microsoft helps them to to rein things in a little bit, helps them to uh, uh, I, I just feel like their their community is really soured. Uh, and, and you know, there's been some there's been some questionable things, I feel, as far as with the studio and whatnot. But I feel like this could be almost that new beginning. and And maybe, you know, with some of Microsoft's leadership and some of their tools and stuff like that, this has gotten them back on the right track. I feel like this is Bethesda, an opportunity for Bethesda to be able to hit reset and 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 get those fans back in, get the people saying this is why we love Bethesda, because, again, the Fallout series is amazing. Um, you know, I feel like it's just been the last few years that things have kind of been kind of rough. So I'm excited to see what this is about. Again, we barely have any. This is about the only footage of this game <laughs> uh, that's playing up right now. But we do have E3 coming up. So I can't imagine that they're not going to be dropping more content for that. This game is scheduled to release in 2020. I I can't see how that ha- I don't think it happens, personally. I don't think it comes out till at least 2022. But... I don't know. I I, I think that the uh, the I think this could be a new beginning for not only Microsoft and and the kind of IPs and games that they're going to be producing moving forward, but uh, also for Bethesda and, and for them to really show their fans. Hey, here's why you guys love us. Um, here's you know, we we you know. I, I I don't I don't know I guess I don't, what are your thoughts
1: You know it it was always a question of when and not if their Bethesda games would start being exclusive to Microsoft platforms and Starfield was probably that first one that was far enough out that people would probably point to that as as if they were going to guess when exclusivity would start probably with that one is one I think a lot of people would say it looks wow. awesome. Uh, I mean, the the concept, I guess we don't even have much humor, but like the whole idea about this game sounds amazing. And, you know, as you said, Microsoft has bought a bunch of these studios. And now, as we start to see some of these studios pay off for them, like this is what Xbox needs, right? If this, mm-hmm. if Game Pass is already compelling, once games like Starfield start coming out, I mean, the value of that service just shoots through the roof and... Like if you're not if you're not a Game Pass member, like games like this is probably what's going to convince you to give it a try, right? Like this is going to kind of get people to turn the corner. And I'm excited. It's good news for Xbox fans. Uh, as mainly a PlayStation player, I'm sad, but you know, kudos, <laughs> I know. kudos to them, kudos to them. Like I said, they need this, and it's great. And I'm going to throw this out there because and and on you know, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm a reporter, but. You have a history with Bethesda, like I think that's pretty pretty well established. Could we could we hear your work on some of these upcoming projects, like one set in space, maybe? All I could say is this: Bethesda is a really great company. I've been
2: collaborating with Bethesda for the last, I would say, twenty almost twenty years. Um and I was working closely with uh, Todd Howard um, and Mark Lampert, you know, uh, for amazing projects. Um, I'm so happy and proud that um, I was working with them, uh, you know, and um, basically it's, I I, I really feel like in many ways, part of the as the family
1: what what is that like to to be with a company for so long it, it feels rare for for anybody in, in any facet of game development to stick with a company and have that kind of close relationship so like what is that process like when you actually you know you get to know these people really well and get to know the way they work and and the stuff that they're looking for it's it's just an
2: amazing opportunity because when time goes by they just trust me more and more and more and allowing me basically to weigh in more and more on, um, artistic choices, uh, for the music. And, um, it it just shows for me, it's such a source of of pride that somebody in magnitude like Todd Howard, um, you know, is working with me. And he is a very, very special person. Um, His creativity, his intuition, and his thinking outside the box, he's teaching us all. And Mark Lampert, same thing. He is um, the head of audio department at Bethesda Studios. And I just cannot say enough how... um, they are inspiring me um, to best myself and always challenge myself and push myself for more and more limits. Um, So, I just feel very fortunate. Good. Yeah. I
1: mean, I'm excited for Starfield. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Bethesda fan. So any, any major IP that they've got coming, especially new. I mean, I'm all for that. I'm all for companies trying something different, taking risks. uh, You know, as, as uh, recently Sony's kind of come under some controversy for uh, maybe in limiting the number of, of risks that they want to be taking. So, you're going to see these two different paths. Hopefully, everybody wins. As a gamer, I mean, another reason why it's an amazing time to be a gamer, right? You've got companies that are all pivoting around each other. But, I mean, we just we just win. So, this is, this is pretty awesome.
0: Couldn't agree more. Uh, we are going to be right back after this short break, guys. Stick around because we're going to be talking all about Enon on the other side. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to that short message. And now comes the real fun part of the episode. And I want to start with a quote that I heard you say a a few years ago, where you said, in video games, people don't hear music, they feel it. And I know that on a technical level, music is always impressive on on these games, right? Everything from a technical level is impressive. What makes the difference to make a gamer feel the music as opposed to just hearing it? I guess
2: it's the million question because
1: how can you really
2: create music that on one hand will perfectly support the emotional aspects of the game and where we are but also is not going to stand in the way between the gamer and the game um, and I think that the secret is that you think that it should not really be drawing attention to itself now in a musical terms uh, drawing attention to it to itself meaning doing something that you will hear and start getting connected to. So for example, if you start to play a melody that is very very catchy and you will repeat it again and again and again, it'll start basically take a part in the game that is not supposed to be taken. Um, this is where you start really listening to the music rather than feeling it. And you start to be aware of the music because you got hooked on the music. This is usually what we really don't want to do. We want players to love the music. Mm -hmm. We want players to appreciate the power behind music. But we do not want to divert their attention from the game. It needs actually to engage them better in the game. It needs to connect them better with the actual game. It needs to push them and to motivate them to be better at the game. And music could do it if it does the right thing. And so experience, I guess... um, is the main thing here how can you create a piece of music that will state something that will be somewhere here like in the back of the head that was like all right okay It, it makes me feel good it makes me feel brave it makes me feel afraid but this is my feeling when i am playing i'm not actually listening to it lots of years um and um I guess trial and error um, between me and games and between me and companies, how can we achieve it?
1: You know, we could, we could pick any number of games to, to dive into. I mean, your, your list of of credits is so, so vast, but as, as a Fallout fan, I wanted to touch on that series a little bit and I want to start with the opening theme, uh, especially to like three and four, from what I remember, there's, there's different variants to it. And it it seemed to almost mirror the tone that was coming uh, after it. Like, like it seemed to kind of get you subconsciously ready for the type of fallout game that we were going to get. Was that something that, that you guys have talked about?
2: I mean, you have to understand. Well, okay. So, I mean, the story about... Let's go back.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Fallout 3 was not the first Fallout that was, I scored. Right. Uh, I scored in um, 99 Fallout Tactics, um, ah. which was not Bethesda. Um, and to date, for me, is one of the most adventurous score I ever did because it was so experimental i you know back then i started all my experiments with uh sound design and organic sound design i use people not to sing but to scream and to clap and to tap and to do all these like weird noises just to create the soundtrack uh it was very ambitious um soundtrack uh for fallout tactics and um, so it made me so happy when Bethesda approached me. But when I was brought uh, to do the music for Fallout Three, the game was almost done, and <laughs> mm. I had few months to score the you know this oh game. Oh my goodness! Um, so it was. But the good thing about it is, like, I got to see firsthand how this game looks and feel. Unlike Fallout Three, for Fallout New Vegas, mm-hmm. Fallout Four, and Fallout Seventy Six, I was I started the work about four years before they came out. Oh! So we had a very deep discussions for each one of these, um, about the story of the game, about mm-hmm. what are the motivations, what the emotions, uh, you know, what are we really want to tell in the core of the game because the main theme basically plays um, or reflects the core of the game, what's inside the game. And so we had uh, so many discussions prior to me starting to compose the music for it. Um, so nothing is, was done as an accident. Everything was well thought after, well mm-hmm. planned. Uh, for example, like the piano in Fallout 4 was something that in 2012, uh, I met Todd and he told me the story about the game. And I said, you know what? I, I really think piano. And he said, you know what? Just, you know, go for it. And this is how like the whole thing about the piano with Fallout 4 was created. Um, so these things just being, are happening so many years before um, it, it goes to the fans It's it, and it's pretty mind baggling how, you know, the evolution of like how it starts and then how it's being projected and, you know,
0: being hurt. How is it for you after, you know, after seeing a game's release and then seeing, uh, you know, the key community's reactions and stuff, how is it from your standpoint, you know, uh, you're creating with intention um, and then the community takes it and, and you know, however they receive it is how they receive it. So I always wonder how it is from your standpoint, being able to see how people receive your music and, and just the games in totality.
2: Well, again, you have to understand that as a game composer, one of the things that um, make um, game, game composers so unique is we are really part of the creative team. We're not a standalone. And yes, no, I'm like working not, you know, in the companies. But when I'm working on a game, I am a team player. I will (laughs) consult with the developers on every step I'm doing. I will talk to people. I will really try to get the inside and insights of um, the people who are developing the game. So, to me, the best testimonial that we did good job is obviously you know I love it when they love the music. Who won't? Mm-hmm. <laughs> know? But the best testimonial for success would be that they really enjoy the game as a whole. You know, they really like the whole experience. What we call the experience, and experience is the gameplay and the sound effects, and the way the game looks. Everything comes together, and music is part of it. And when music becomes a cohesive part, and not like a standalone or something that is an add-on to the game, and you feel it, when gamers are talking about the game, you will know right away if you were able to achieve it as a real team player. When this happens, this is the most satisfying moment for me.
1: You know, it, it's interesting too, because part of what I love about your work is the variety uh, in, in instruments that you use and different styles uh, that you use to score different games. How, how early do you get a sense of what style fits a narrative?
2: Um, let me segue to Outriders, because mm-hmm. I think that Outriders actually is a great example of a three-month struggle between um it's not between but like for us as a team to develop the music or to the style or um the the touch the emotions and overall the soundscape for outriders um you know let me tell you a funny story um they came to me um people can fly came to me um and said like you know, we have a new project. Would you like to be involved? And I said, well, let's see what, what we're talking about and what you like about me. And I said, oh, we love them, you know, the music for Dragon Age. And I said, oh, sure, I can do Dragon Age. So, and I said, all right, well, give us something, you know, like a, something like a main theme. And I wrote a Dragon Age-esque um, theme. And they said, nice, but this is totally not for our game. <laughs> <laughs> and so and i said but you t- <laughs> that's what you said <laughs> um I said so, all, right, all, right, all, right, all right so let's go back here um and let's try to find out and we we'll, we started to again outriders has a much deeper story than people that didn't play the game could you know perceive. Mm-hmm. Outriders definitely has um, a very strong idea, a message and a you know a story. It's not just a shooter looter it in many ways sort of like an action RPG um, mm-hmm. and which a very strong narrative And we basically tried to create with the music an ambiance that, Tells you, you first and foremost, you are not on Earth. You are in a strange and alien planet. This is not like a fantasy game. This is a very realistic game, but the reality is not our reality here on Earth. Mm-hmm. It's a total different reality. How can we do it? And we started the journey. Um, so it's like, all right, you don't want orchestral, you don't want fantasy. Let's go the other way around. And I created a total synthetic and synthesizer um, soundtrack. And it's all right. You know, we have few elements here that we like, but still we're missing a lot of elements. Eventually, after months of putting, you know, our heads together, we got to this combination of a synthetic elements and orchestral elements, but the orchestral elements actually, and we recorded um, the live orchestra in Budapest, but I took the orchestral elements and twisted them, affected them in a weird way, treated them differently, mixed them in an untraditional way. So the combina- combination between the synthetic elements and the, um, you know, the uh, twisted um, orchestral sound. Eventually, when this all came together, this what created um, the soundscape that the score for Outriders stands on.
0: And I love it, too. This is, uh, I didn't Lucas, Noah, or anybody that's, that's been listening, been, I'm pretty deep into Outriders. I'm about 150 hours into Outriders. Ooh. Yeah, no, no, I put some serious time in. But you're app, you're, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, it's a fantastic story. I'm hoping that we get more of the story and what you guys were able to do with the music. I, I love being able to hear it firsthand from you because you really do. It is a part of of the game uh and and what i mean by that i don't mean the game i'm sorry but of that world like i feel like with that music this is what exactly would be going on if i was on this alien world where you know you have these these not so i wouldn't say necessarily light moments because the game is pretty heavy as far as you Know as we're coming in, what's happened in the past, and then hey, we found this great new world that's supposed to be, you know, new human life that we can go and 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 you know, live and and rebuild. And it's like, oh, but the planet's got another thing for you, there's all kinds of little secrets going on here, too. Right. Uh, and and, it, and it's so complimentary, uh, uh the music of that is, 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 is fantastic. And I, have got to say, uh, let me fanboy here for a little bit. Um, thank you so much because yeah, it really, it really does. Um, it really helped to to uplift and, and really give you these, these moments and, and, and you to feel what these characters and what these people are, are truly going
2: through. Well, I appreciate it so much that you're saying it, um, because this is totally what we were shooting for. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, I say, we, I don't say I, Mm -hmm. and the reason is that, you know, with me, uh, there is the audio director, um, marching and Bartok Kmita. He is, um, the main producer for the game. And we worked together, um, to basically carve and finesse and, um, sort of like really create this world um, of the music of the music of outriders and when you know it comes from you and when you say that this is working for you as a gamer, as I said, this is like the best testimonial for me that it became a cohesive part that it creates the um, necessary emotional aspect for the game
1: this you know I I will confess that that uh, I'm not, a musician or anything so I'm, I'm probably speaking from a place of of some ignorance and so my apologies but <laughs> when you get to an emotional part of a story what goes into the decision whether to have like the music swell or have it be more subtle like is there is there a thought process behind that on on which one fits a, a particularly moving scene the best
2: you know i'll tell you it's not about this scene it's about what happened before the scene mm-hmm. and what will happen after the scene You cannot really disconnect a scene as emotion as it is from what, you know, preceded it and what will come after. So, you know, and the music will always take into consideration what was there before because Mm -hmm. you, as a gamer, you're not being sort of like parachute into the scene. You went through a lot and then you got to the scene. So the music needs to take you with. It into the scene, depending on what happened to you before. So let's say that you fought and you lost a friend or somebody really close to you, and then comes the emotional scene. You will play this emotional scene from the perspective of this loss. Mm -hmm. Then it'll be probably, you know, um, very um, intimate you know, and, and small and sad, um, and touching. Um, but if what happened before was victory, um, and you go again to this emotional scene, you will approach it from a total different point of view and the way you will score it will be, you know, different. And so again, there are thousands of ways, uh, of ways to score <laughs> a scene. Uh, even when you want to tell the same message, because you need to think about, you almost need to imagine that the player with his or hers emotion are already hearing the music mm-hmm. and they can imagine the music. All you have to do is be experienced enough to take what they hear and really sort of like bring it to them so they won't say, oh, what is it? But they'll say, <laughs> sure, of course, it's... It is what we thought it is, you know? This is,
1: you know. Was there a particular game, uh, and it it sounds like at least at first, Outriders provided a a unique challenge, but was there a a game or or a certain part of a narrative that, that you found particularly challenging to get the music right to fit to it?
2: I think each game and really each project that I am engaged in, at least in the beginning, have challenges Mm -hmm. and the challenges are so you know and you could understand why you know because this is like a new title even if it's a sweet sequel still it's a new title Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes even different people are working with this just to develop the beginning just to develop sort of like the first footnote And to say, all right, this is my statement. This is my touch. This is what I think will be what people will hear and say, this is Fulham. This is Outrider. This is Siberia. This is, I mean, it is really challenging. And I cannot say in particular that there were games that, were having, like, I had, like, a tremendous difficulty. I, I remember, actually, um, one story. If you remember the game Crisis.
1: Uh-huh. Um, mm mm-hmm.
2: um, That I scored, again, um, I think that was sort of, like, a mid-2000s. Um, the main theme for it was a challenge because... Um, the melody itself for the producers was so important um, rather than the actual musical setup, just the melody. So in the beginning, I just worked on a piano, which I never do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I sent them like examples of me playing piano because this basically disconnected them for anything. Oh, it's strings, it's horns. It's like, it's like, don't, diverted from what we want to hear we really want to get hooked on the melody mm-hmm. so all the demos unlike other games were being played on piano which was very very unique to this title and only when they were satisfied with the actual hook very simple right mm-hmm. took us took us took us weeks to you know you know um only then we started to go and all right now we could really start the score um so you know i have many other stories like these
0: let me ask you is there would you say especially being a gamer too is there a series or a game that you would like to work on or or create for
2: you know this Every, you know, I, I answered this question a few times, and and I actually always saying the same thing. Um, so maybe one developer will hear my voice <laughs> and will let me do it. <laughs> I am a huge fan of jazz. Um, mm. I actually came to the United States as a jazz pianist, not as a uh, uh, you know a media composer Mm -hmm. Um, and I still love jazz and if I could do a game score with you know using my jazz skills and big band writing and this kind of things you know that'll mean a lot to me
1: oh I could see it I could see like a game set in like the 20s or 30s like that would be be awesome you know
2: exactly like you know you know like movie noir and these kind of things and like the yeah. 40s and these kind of things I I love it and I mean there was like a little game um, that I did for micro aids that, that the main theme is more jazzy um, black side. Um but um, other than this I don't think I ever really did a lot of things with jazz. And this is something I definitely would love to do if you're already asking.
1: (laughs) So, so you come as a jazz pianist. What uh, prompted the switch more toward composing? What kind of got you uh, uh, toward this track?
2: It's a good question. Um, when I started studying at the Grove School of Music and it was in 1991, um, I realized and it was, by the way, um, a jazz school, Mm -hmm. but we did learn um, to score and we did learn media. And in fact, I had lessons with Henry Mancini and um, I had less, you know, experience um, with people like Jack Smalley, who did a lot of music for many TV shows. Um, Dick Grove himself composed many TV episodes um, so this it was a very Hollywood place although it taught us jazz and I remember somewhere like in the middle of the year things started to happen and to me because um, I was growing up and all my musical education was based not on jazz but a classical training. And I love classical music, and I this is my sort of like always the go-to when I'm opening the radio in my car. It will always be classical music. You know, this is sort of like my home. And score for media actually really gave me opportunity to bring my classical ideas and play them in a dramatic setup. Um, whether it's a TV or a movie or or in later on video games and this is what it is i'm bringing my classical compositional chops and ideas into a dramatic um setups so fast enough i fell in love with this style. And since then, I really never looked back.
1: I can't even imagine when you're composing something like that feeling of, of just knowing in your head, what everything's going to sound like. And, and, and then hearing it come together, like when you are composing, like, like what, I guess, what is that like to, to be able to, to be writing different parts and different movements and to, to just know what that sounds like before it's ever a notes ever really played and recorded. Actually, this is the magic of the whole thing.
2: You never really know how it's going to end up sounding. You think, you know, mm-hmm. um, you think you have like a, and, and in many cases you do have some kind of like a vision um, and ideas, but you know, it never really ends up the way I envisioning it. It, could be sometimes close, sometimes very far. Mm -hmm. And it happens during the process of composing that I will hit a wrong note. And I say, wait a second, that actually could be cool. Or I'll accidentally, um, um, you know, push and and put like my sound cursor on, on like a different sound. I don't know, English horn. And I'll play. Just oh, wait a second. I, I meant strings, but wait a second. English horn. That is <laughs> it. you know. I mean. So these things happen all the time. So you got to be open, um, all the time. And you. And this is basically when you're composing. It's like your head is open. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't have hair. Because it's easier. <laughs> to- <laughs> um, and yeah. Um, it, it, you need all the time to listen to the music that is there and the music that is still not there and and the music that you think should be, but also be open to something that is not there and you don't think about it, but I just heard it. And you know what? Let me explore that. Mm-hmm. Let me try to see if that could be interesting. This is the only way to push the boundaries, to create uh, more original um, content.
1: You know, obviously, you've worked on a lot of of huge franchises. You know, from the Prince of Persia's of the world to to follow up everything in between. When you come back for for different installments, how much do you try and 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 respect what came before while trying to push it? And how much musical literacy do you count on the gamer to have? Uh, if they have stuck with the series up to a new installment?
2: You know, and, and again, it's a great question. Um, let's talk about Fallout, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been through five fallouts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, it is the balance between the continuity um, and the fam- familiarity of the themes and The new material that describes the new story. Only when you tune in and you create sort of like not the perfect balance, but you know, the balance that you think will work the best between the materials that you're taking from the previous um, projects and games bring them in, and then give them a whole new treatment. When you created this balance, players it's going to be great for players because if player never really played any of this game, play could just land into Fallout 76 and start playing it and never play all the Fallouts before. The music should be still solid. Mm -hmm. It should ring not familiar, but it should be in a way something that the gamer will get to know, get to like, get to get hooked on, and that it'll sound familiar. The same situation should happen for gamers who played Fallout 3, 4, Vegas, mm-hmm. and then landed on 76. Obviously, it's going to be very different for them because they already know the world of, of, of Fallout. But the effect of the music should do the same thing create the you know uh, the emotional aspect um, of the game with bringing some things that will tell the gamers this is your new home we know you came from a different home we know that you came from a home that maybe was something like that but we are telling a whole new story right, right now so Get ready.
1: I have to ask because we are in Las Vegas. Fallout New Vegas, I think, too, is is one of the the most popular entries, anyway, uh, with with fans of the series. What was that process like? What were you going for? And you know, musically, how do you represent a a dystopian, almost kind of like westernish feel that 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 it had?
2: That was actually such a a, a great um, experience because um, at the time. Um, we, we talked about how we could take classical string quartet and make it twangy. <laughs> how can we take um, like a um, harmony, um, a traditional harmony and make it bluesy? How could we take a cello and make it sound like a guitar or a saxophone? This sort of like treatment is what created the soundscape for Fallout New Vegas. We wanted to take the classical instruments because we had before Fallout 3. Mm -hmm. And Fallout 3 was pretty heavy on on orchestra. And, you know, orchestra is great to create dramatic um, effect Mm -hmm. with um, audience and players. But... And, you know, we could have bring Johnny Cash, okay? <laughs> you know? um, and it would not be a, a bad idea, but we wanted to bring Johnny Cash playing string quartet, okay? Um, and I actually recorded the string quartet here in my studio. And I remember giving them a very, very specific um, set of instructions. Do not play on tune all the time. Mm. You know, vary the tune. Don't play, don't think that this is classical music. You will play notes and music that is written in a classical way, but you will detune it and you will play it in a more, um, you know, Western way. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, we listened to, um, you know, Annie Morricone and other um, composers that did westerns before, just to get inspired. But the way to approach it was sort of like the out there. Yes, it is the western, it is twangy, but there's also this uneasiness feel that the detune and the de- detonation of um you know the strings are is creating that just makes you not cringe but sit really in a <laughs> not comfortably in your chair, you know, and this is what we really wanted to achieve there
0: that is awesome yeah Ian, uh, again, thank you so much uh for being on. We know that you're busy, you've got stuff going on we don't want to take up too much of your time thank you uh, so much I appreciate
2: <laughs> the consideration yeah yes <laughs> absolutely.
0: Very quickly, where can we where can we find you? What do you have coming up? Lay it on us, brother.
2: The thing that I could say or the thing that I cannot say? What do you say? Well, no, 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 no,
0: no. <laughs> the things that you can say. No, I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble here. <laughs> 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 we'll say the things that you can't say for another episode.
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, obviously there, there will be more surprises from the Fallout world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, obviously, you know, Fallout 76 world. Um, not any new Fallout, so don't get your hype. Just <laughs> 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 <She's> like hmm? <laughs> uh, Fallout Seventy Six is definitely developing into very interesting um, uh, developments, and I am definitely um, encouraging people to check out. You know things will come your way soon that are very interesting um obviously um siberia the world before um is a game that um is going to come out um either end of 21 or sometimes 22. Um, it is uh, a game that i put a lot into from many reasons i don't want to get into it yet but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to share uh, more of the music from Siberia um, the world before. I think I said enough for now.
0: <laughs> well, we'll keep our eyes peeled. I mean, I, sure. I, I <laughs> wish
1: I could come <laughs> <happen before>. work <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs>
0: No, we're not. We're not trying to get anybody in trouble here. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it.
2: You got it. And thank you very, very, very much for having me on your show. Um, continue your great work. As supporting the gaming industry, the gamers. Um, and uh, this is such a, you know, mission that you guys are taking on yourself and uh, you get all my support.
0: Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Enon. Yes, Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend?
1: Oh man, this is this is going to be a repeat of last weekend. Give you yeah. more Mass Effect, give you more Pokemon Snap, and I am set. How about yourself, Ryan?
0: We are actually—I gotta say it quietly because my daughter's birthday is coming up—but we're actually going mm. camping. So that's go. gonna be a surprise. Ooh. It's gonna be nice to get out. Yeah, just get out, get out of the house and do that stuff. So we're excited about that. So not no, no gaming for me uh, per se this weekend but leading up to when we leave I will be playing Mass Effect I'll be playing Outriders and I'll be playing Destiny 2 <laughs> good luck we got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to multitask <laughs> yeah, <of> course, yeah. <laughs> guys thank you so much again for joining us on this episode of Land Parties don't forget to hit us up on the tweeters at Land Parties pod at LucasEgg or at Smitty 2447 we hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week and you know what it is we love your faces